Diablo Dar, welcome to another short news flash podcast from PortugueseSoccer.com. I am your host, John Neves, dropping episode number 49 on the evening of Tuesday, the 29th of December. I hope this podcast, as always, comes to you safe and sound. We're about two days away from the end of a miserable 2020 year for obvious reasons. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to turn the clock and get on with 2021. And hopefully not only a better year, but a more normal year as possible. So looking forward to the clock turning on Thursday night. Um, We just finished round 11, heading into round 12 now. I'm going to talk a little bit about the schedule like I always do every podcast. But just to start, a very big night tonight to finish the calendar 2020 year in Liga. Uh, Benfica at home beating Portimonense 2-1. Um, Porto made the short trip to Guimarães and they won 3-2 Luis Diaz with the goal in the 80th minute to help them come back from a 2-1 deficit Um, Monday night Braga beat up on Boa Vista 4-1, boy, Jesualdo Ferreira the new manager of Boa Vista has got a lot of work to do to try to turn that ship around and then of course on Sunday which began uh, you know, week 11 of course Sporting making the short trip Across town to play Bill and Sad in the rented Jamur, sporting with a two to one a win. Um, pretty much the story of this week, I think, is that the big four, and yes, I'm including Braga with this big four, all each won their match. And on top of that, of course, we saw Porto. They were really the team that were going to be tested this uh, week, and they came away with a pretty impressive uh, three to two win. Don't forget, the top four teams this year are pretty much battling to finish first and second because whoever finishes first and second goes to the Champions League automatically next year. So a lot of money on the line. And as we kind of anticipated, these four teams are going to be battling for two spots. Guimarães tonight, I thought, had some really good moments. They are without a doubt improved, uh, playing much better than when Thiago was managing the team earlier this season. Uh, But at the end of the day, they really dropped an opportunity to stay up top. And uh, even though they'll be battling for Europa spot, I think they missed a golden opportunity tonight with a 2-1 to lead and allowing that to uh, slip away. Um... Well, once the clock turns and we all give the middle finger to 2020, uh, we pretty much go into uh, round 12, week 12. And that gets going right away on Saturday. And what a beautiful way to begin 2021. Then a fantastic match to kick off the season, to kick off the year in Liga. Sporting's hosting Braga at home, the first place team against the fourth place team. That is a fantastic way to begin uh, the year. Uh, personally, I would have liked to have seen them play a New Year's Day. Um, if no fans are, are allowed, um, obviously nobody's uh, celebrating in Portugal because there's a curfew, uh, and obviously players aren't going to any parties either. It would have been pretty cool to have a New Year's Day. But nevertheless, uh, I'm not going to ask for too much, but uh, nevertheless, that will take place on Saturday. Sunday, we have six matches in the league. I usually don't see that. The TV likes to usually spread out the matches. Uh, but that is pretty much the case. We actually have a match that actually is going to be at uh, pretty much starting at 1300 hours Portugal time. Uh, <clears throat> that'll be Tundela playing against Familia Kong. Uh, so that I wonder if that's uh, an early match for the uh, Asian audience. Uh, Portugal, uh, if you recall, had been some discussions in the past about playing matches earlier in the day. 
to kind of attract the Asian market, much in the way the EPL has managed to all these years uh, be so popular in that part of the world because so many matches are played for people to see live on television. But yeah, you have uh, essentially six matches. Porto will be at home to Moreirense. Um, you've got Benfica making the trip to the Azores to play Santa Clara. Um, so you've got uh, six matches on Sunday and then on Monday, two matches. Jules uh, Vicente, Belenense, Saad. Portimonense and Feirense will wrap up um, the league on Monday, June the 4th. And then uh, let me just mention quickly, right away, uh, round 13 gets going that following Thursday. So a week from Thursday, right away, you've got Nacional playing Sporting. Benfica is going to play Tunela. And then you got Braga also playing on that day against Maritimo. And part of that is because the following week, you got the Tassa and the Portugal matches. So that's the reason why there's such a quick turnaround and you have so many matches uh, next uh, Thursday. And that'll be Thursday the 7th. Porto plays the following day on Friday. Uh, they'll make the short trip up north uh, where they are to play Familia Gong. And then, of course, the following Friday the 15th is, of course, the big Clásico with uh, Porto hosting uh, Benfica. So pretty much action gets going on Saturday with uh, Sporting and Braga. You got six matches on Sunday with Porto and Benfica playing, two matches on Monday, and then boom, round 13 gets going right away on Thursday. So you've got Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday next week, but most of the big matches are taking place on Thursday and Friday. Uh, it's almost like when we resumed football back in June, most of the big teams are also, always seem to be playing during the week. But that's just kind of the way the schedule is. Again, a lot of things coming up this month, not only Tassa de Portugal, you got Tassa de Liga. So a lot of uh, matches coming up this month. Part two of this episode, and I wanted to talk about recent news and give you my comments on it because there were some very interesting situations this week. And obviously the big story that took place two days ago was, of course, that uh, Porto midfielder Otavio was suspended for two games for remarks that he made uh, to the to uh, in an interview after the Tasa de Portugal final back in uh, early August. He was uh, pretty frustrated. Luis Diaz was sent off during the match, and he had some very strong words, and particularly words uh, words that I think a lot of people feel about. You know, I think it's something that sometimes gives Portugal a really bad image is about how everybody feels there's a system working against their team. Um, this isn't something that Porto just feels. I know a lot of Benfica fans that feel that way and a lot of sporting fans that feel that way. And I know sometimes even with the smaller clubs, they feel that way when results aren't going their way and you know they get a bad result or a bad call against one of the uh, bigger clubs. So everybody in Portugal is upset about something. And um, the remarks that were made, and I won't go into them, but uh, they've earned them a two-game suspension. Uh, basically, a lot of people are upset at the timing that something that happened uh, basically in early August, because that was when the final took place, uh, basically is adjudicated. The decision is made on the discipline on December the 28th. Um, there wasn't a fight where you needed to investigate what happened. This wasn't something that happened off the pitch. Uh, this was something that happened, and there was actual video for people to see. And obviously that decision... Um, you know, the fact that it happened in early August to the fact that it gets adjudicated now only at the end of December has a lot of people upset. Of course, Porto fans are upset. Uh, Porto, of course, released a statement expressing their disappointment. 
But I will also tell you that a lot of people in the media business, uh, watching the various TVs and the radio, listening to the radios, um, and even some newspaper articles, um, you know, people thought the timing was awful. Um, why does it take five months to make a decision? Especially if you have the video to see what he said. Um, and I don't think many people argue about what he said. I think it's just the timing that is disappointing a lot of people. But this happens, uh, let's put it this way. A lot of decisions in Portugal take a very long time. Um, I'm not sure if anyone has ever tried to figure out why that is. You know, you look at England, the Premier League, just ask uh, Mourinho, just ask Bernardo Silva when he was involved in a situation a few years ago. Decisions usually are made within days or a week. Uh, they're made pretty quickly. But in Portugal, it's not unheard of for things to take three or four months. And especially if you appeal it, the decisions sometimes last even longer. And that has upset uh, some people because of the timing of it. And, um, you know, when I talk about this, I would talk about it the same way as if it happened to sporting, if it happens to Benfica. The question sometimes about why things take as long as they do is, I think, a very relevant question. And one day I'd love to see somebody get a straight answer and ask the disciplinary committee why it takes this long. Um, again, every fan I know has a frustration, believes their system works against their team, and a situation like this doesn't help. Uh, these things tend to happen every year, some more years than others. This year it's been a little bit different because of everything we're going through. There hasn't been that much of controversies. But you know it's going to be happening again when things get back to normal and fans are in the stadium and players' emotions are high. People are going to say things. People are going to be you know, sent off the field and there's going to be inquiries whether or not they hit the player hard with their elbow and should they be suspended more. Um, a lot of these things could take place and be decided within a week. Okay, give them two weeks if for some reason whoever does it needs more time. But it's about time in Portugal that they start making these decisions a lot sooner um, because I just think that the not only does it leave a bad taste with fans, but I think it just makes people wonder sometimes about things. And you don't want people wondering about things. Uh, you want things to be cut and dry and pretty obvious. And at least if you're going to upset people, at least do it right away after the said incident or said things were said um, in the uh, press. Uh, other news, fresh news. Uh, Rio Ave's Mario Silva, the manager, is being let go. Um, he started off so well. You know, they made that great run in the Europa preliminaries. They went to Turkey, beat Basitas in that one leg. Then they played Milan, um, went to extra time. They thought they had it, and then Milan ties it very late. They go to penalty kicks. I think it was something like 12 or 13 penalty kicks, and unfortunately, Ruav came out on the losing end. But they made a lot of fans that night across Europe and got some respect. They start the season with three draws. They lose to Benfica. I think it was 3 nothing. And then they win their next two matches. And at one point in the middle of October, Riwav was the Riwav that we knew. Uh, battling for fifth, sixth place, battling for Europa spot. Uh, a club that, without a doubt, is in the top eight almost every year. But now things have turned sour. The results have gone a different direction. They are not uh, winning. 
And as a result, a decision was made. So you have another managerial change in Portugal. The, of course, the most recent one was Josualdo Freira uh, coming on to take over at Boa Vista. And now we are also going to have a new manager that will take over the job at Rio Ave. And it's very surprising to see clubs like Boa Vista and Rio Ave toward the bottom. Um, and we'll see if they'll be able to uh, turn it around. Uh, continuing with managers, Ricardo Sapinto was uh, basically sacked by Vasco da Gama in Brazil. Um, with the exception of JJ and the reason why so many Brazilian clubs like Portuguese managers now was because of JJ and a success at Flamingo. Um, we've seen one manager do very well, Abel Ferreira with Palmeiras, but we've seen a bunch of other managers not do so well. And Sapinto is the most recent one. Jesualdo Ferreira was with Santos. That didn't work out. Augusto Inácio was in Brazil. That didn't work out. Augusto Inácio, I think, was there. I don't know if you know if he lasted a month, but unfortunately, uh, it hasn't worked out for those three managers um, in Portugal, in uh, Brazil, excuse me. And a lot of them will be back. Don't be surprised if uh, Inácio's name comes up. Maybe uh, this is just a guess with the Riwab job. Uh, don't be surprised if Sapinto in the next few months uh, winds up getting another job. Um, I think Sapinto is a good manager. Um, I remember five, six years ago when Belenenses was playing in the Europa preliminary, he fielded an all Portuguese team and they did very well. He's a guy that basically says what's on his mind and does what he wants. He's not necessarily someone that's a pushover, but it didn't work out for him in uh, Brazil. And um, he'll be back probably for another job in Europe, you know, if not in uh, Portugal. Another big news that's only going to get bigger Paulinho is wanted by Sporting. Uh, Paulinho Abraga, of course, is one of the top strikers in the league. Um, had a great year last year. Uh, this year, not so well. He, he's not on the same pace as he was last year. I got him on my fantasy league team, and um, I anticipated that he would do a lot better. I've got him up front on my fantasy team, league team with Pinho of Maritimo. If, uh, you know, if he was doing as well as he did last year, I think I'd be doing a lot better. Um, but the news is that Sporting is very interested in Paulinho. And I find this interesting because, one, we just had a Braga Sporting controversy with regard to Ruben Amarin. And, you know, Ruben's buyout was $10 million. And, of course, Braga complained that Sporting didn't pay up or at least start to pay up. And I believe that's been worked out. They've worked out on when they're going to pay. But, you know, now they're talking about Paulinho, and you know, Paulinho is not going to go for 10 million. Paulinho is probably not going to go for 20 million. He's probably a player that Premier League clubs could buy for 30 million. And somehow these clubs are linked again with Paulinho. And um, I'm just very surprised after the problems they had that these two clubs are being linked again. And I'd be curious to see how Sporting is going to do it. Are they going to give some players? Um, you know, are they going to, you know, they've, they've got something like. I think they've got something like 15 or 16 players training at the academy that aren't part of the first team plans. I mean, you could probably come at you. You know, there's, there's some of these players that they could probably give to Braga. You know, Braga sometimes does a very good job of getting players that have been discarded and turning them into decent prospects. Maybe that's what Sporting's thinking about in terms of paying football in you, but I find it strange that these two clubs are talking again after all the problems that they had with uh, Ruben Amarin. I'm um, going to end this podcast, uh, or this, excuse me, this part of the episode 
talking about uh, fans, um, as we know in Portugal, uh, fans are not allowed at stadiums yet to matches. Um, back in September and October, there was a pilot program, especially with the national team that allowed, I think, one match. I think it was versus Sweden, a thousand fans. And then I think the match against France was 2,500. Santa Clara, the Azores regional government, allowed them to have up to a thousand fans at one of their matches. Um, but then, unfortunately, the numbers, like many parts of Europe, the COVID numbers took off and went really bad. And the Portuguese government, the health ministry, basically decided to put that idea to the side and put it away. And the clubs are still clamoring about it. Uh, Pinto da Costa called it stupid the other day. Um, Salvador, the president of Braga, chimed in tonight about the fact that, uh, you know, this is doing irreparable financial damage to the clubs, that they're losing out on this money. Uh, because when you're a Portuguese club, even though you rely on selling players to make a lot of your money, every penny helps or every euro helps when it comes to selling kits, uh, you, know, um, you know, selling, um, you know, advertising, and also selling tickets. And right now the Portuguese industry is losing a lot of money. And next summer, hopefully when things are a little bit better and fans are allowed in the stadiums, um, our Portuguese clubs are going to be forced to sell more players to make up the money. But this is an option, uh, basically a thing that keeps coming up every week. And I think what's going to happen is, is as more people in Portugal get vaccinated, more and more Portuguese clubs are going to basically complain more. And eventually the time is going to come. Uh, it's obviously not going to be anytime soon because Portugal's in a curfew. But uh, at the end of the day, the clubs are going to want at some point this season to let fans back in, even if it's only a few thousand, because they really need that money. And uh, Portuguese clubs right now, a lot of them are in bad, bad shape. Fans only see the results. Fans don't see the accounting books. And unfortunately, if you read the newspapers like I do every day, there's a lot of clubs that are having going to have a lot of problems. And probably the worst is uh, yet to come. Portuguesesoccer.com podcast regarding off-the-field events. Uh, big news, uh, obviously, of course, it continues to be COVID in Portugal, but Benfica had five players that tested positive during the week, and as a result, they've got some players in isolation. Um, didn't really have an effect on the match earlier today against Portimonense. Uh, the reality is, is the situation is not as bad as it was, if you recall, back in September when uh, Sporting had a uh, big cluster at their academy. So they had to basically move a lot of the players that were testing uh, that were negative. They moved them all down to Algarve to train. And uh, if you recall at that time as well, Gilles Vicente had a big issue as well with over a dozen uh, people uh, on their team, uh, players and staff testing positive. And as a result, uh, that week one match, uh, Sporting Gil Vicente, which was played later on in the season, um, you know, they uh, they had issues and they had to postpone the match. Now, Befica is nowhere near that position right now. You know, unless uh, in the next few days, much more players get it. I think everything is fine. People have to understand that these clubs have some of the best doctors. They have a huge medical staff. 
Uh, these are players that, of course, not only are they players, but they're commodities. Many of these players are sold for big money. So the clubs really do a lot of work to make sure that these uh, young players are taken care of. Um, and, of course, not only that, but they take care of the staff as well and make sure that their families are taken care of. But that is a bit of a concern, though. Five players. We'll see what happens in the next few days. But by all accounts, it, it seems to be issues that a lot of people feel will be controlled and hopefully not have a repeat of the sporting uh, Gil Vicente situation. Um, as far as Portugal goes as a COVID, um, the numbers that you see during the holidays are a little bit skewed because people get tested less. But lately, Portugal's numbers have been coming in at like uh, 3,000 a day. Certainly, that's better than hearing five or uh, 6,000. But uh, the big thing in Portugal, of course, was that this past Sunday, uh, they started the vaccination process with the healthcare workers in the hospitals. And a matter of fact, as of today, Tuesday, I think I had read something like 6,700 people have already been vaccinated. And by the way, for a small country like Portugal to do that within two days, it's a fantastic number, and that's only bound to uh, grow. Uh, I mentioned on a previous episode that the good thing about Portugal being a small country is that they can get to the whole population a lot faster than, of course, the big countries throughout Europe or North America who are going to have to take months and months uh, to get people vaccinated. Um, Portugal, of course, it's expected to be a process through the spring. They, of course, have to wait for more shipments. But uh, that is very good news, not only Portugal, of course, but in other parts of the world that they have begun the vaccination uh, process. And one unfortunate story that came out of the Portuguese press today and as I've always said, I've always been somebody that follows current events in Portugal besides what goes on in the pitch. And crazy story to you about one of the locations where they had the vaccines was bringing vaccines down to the Algarve. And something about the local police wanted to escort the, uh, the transport down to Algarve. But the uh, regional police were the ones that had the jurisdiction and it became a uh, sort of like a power thing so much so that according to reports, the local police wouldn't let the regional police leave as an escort. Crazy stuff. You could you know look it up online if you want to read more about it, but that was pretty much the big story today in the press and the uh, government, the office of uh, ministry is going to launch an investigation, but uh, crazy stories that we're going to hear about COVID all over the world. Uh, is going to be crazy. That's going to be happening in the next few months. But the bottom line, at least these things are starting to happen, and that's really good news. Folks, want to wish you a very happy and safe New Year. Don't drink too much wine. Um, you know, as I always like to say, when 2020 leaves, I know many people are going to give it the middle finger. And look forward to talking to you next week. Please stay safe. Ciao, everybody.